right, you can be seated. There are uh, several ways to give. You can text to give. Um, you can download our app if you haven't done that already and uh, give through the app. Uh, you can also write uh, checks and mail them to our post office box. Uh, all of those details should be on the screen. And uh, awesome. All right, so last week, or two weeks ago, actually, uh, I started uh, a series that we, we have no idea how long it's going to last. And so we're just going to do the best we can. We'll see. Uh, but one of the things that uh, we talked about was that we were talking about how Jesus took his disciples into deep places. And one of the things that we said he did was that he taught them. And uh, we're going to look at that a little bit today. We're going to look at one of the things that he taught. Um, but I want to say this, before we go there, I want to say this about uh, the teaching of Jesus. And, and you'll see this in this particular passage uh, that we're going to look at today. The teaching of Jesus was not about uh, understanding things intellectually. Uh, there were things uh, that he communicated that, that helped uh, people to come to greater understanding, but the purpose of the understanding was the purpose. The purpose of the understanding was not so that they could understand, but so that they could engage. The purpose of understanding when it comes to the kingdom of God is always engagement. Uh, God wants us to understand things so that we can know him, not, not just know about him. He doesn't teach us intellectually so we can you know, understand about who he is. Uh, he, he imparts things even to us that allow us to understand so that we can engage him and, and know him, actually know him more fully because it's in knowing him that our lives are transformed, not just knowing about him. And so we're, we're going to look at that today a little bit. Mark chapter 4 is where we're going to go for that. Uh, it's a popular passage. You've probably read it and studied it before. Uh, some people call it the uh, parable of the seeds. Some people even call it the parable of the sower. We're going to call it the parable of the soils. And uh, I'll explain that in a few minutes. So here we go. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. Uh, and I'll, let me say this about that before I go to the next verse. It's interesting that the word for shore, where they are standing, is the same word that's used later for soil. So just interesting tidbit. Uh, I, oh, go back. Are you there? Okay, here we go. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seeds, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, 
some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. So that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word at once, receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times that was sown. Jesus, we pray that, uh, that you would speak to us today. Uh, you said to your disciples that the secrets to the kingdom had been given to them. And so we just pray today that you would give us, that you would give to us, uh, that you would give to us the secrets of the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. So the reason that I, w- I would call this the parable of the soils is because um, the, the soil really is, is the only variable in this story. The, the seed is all good. All, all, all of the seed is good. It's not some good seed and some bad seed. The sower is obviously good, especially if you believe that the sower is Jesus. The sower could be you and it could be me, but most likely the sower in the story is Jesus. So all of the seed is good. The sower is good. The sower throws it everywhere. He throws seed everywhere. He throws seed in places where it's likely to produce fruit, and he also throws seed in places where it's not likely uh, to produce fruit. Uh, It's interesting that Jesus actually calls more attention to the seed that fails in this story than to the seed that produces fruit. But I would say that this, this parable actually is a story uh, about soil. It's not about seeds necessarily. It's not about so, the sower, but more about the soil. Uh, I would also argue that everything Jesus did has a deeper meaning. Everything Jesus did, every time Jesus healed someone, it was about more than just that person being healed. And so every time Jesus tells a parable, it's about more than just what's obvious in the story. Everything that Jesus did and everything that Jesus said has a deeper meaning. 
And, and why that's important is because Jesus says to the disciples that they have been given the keys to the kingdom. In other words, they have been given the ability to understand the deeper meaning, uh, the underlying meaning. Uh, those on the outside, those outside of the kingdom, do not see the connection between uh, the miracles, uh, the parables, the healing. Uh, those outside of the kingdom don't even see the connection of the death of Jesus to the revelation of the kingdom of God. Uh, but verse 11 says, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. Now, the mystery of the kingdom is given to them not because they're smarter than everyone else. Now, I, I'm not against being smart. I'm not. I, I, I like smart people. I, I have been, I, I think at least that most of my friends have thought that I was smart most of my life because they've given me nicknames that started with smart. And so I'm just assuming that they believed that I was smart. And so I'm not against smart. I like smart. Um, but the disciples didn't have the keys to the kingdom because they were smarter than everyone else. In fact, they weren't as smart as the Pharisees and the scribes. But they, they got it better. They didn't get it, though, uh, because of intellect, uh, they understood because they had been given the keys of the kingdom. And it wasn't because they were smarter, it was because they had chosen Jesus. Or, or you could say, it was because he had chosen them. Now, I, I believe that the biggest mistake that seminaries have made throughout history is that seminaries have tried to make preachers and pastors and leaders smarter instead of closer. If I was going to start a seminary today, the focus would be on uh, helping leaders learn how to live closer to Jesus, more intimate to Jesus, because I believe the key to the kingdom is not intellect. The key to the kingdom is intimacy. Uh, the insider, Jesus says, uh, pursues, seeks, and inquires. The way Jesus said it was, ask, seek, and knock. Those on the inside are pursuing. They're wanting to go deeper. They, they want to know more, not just so that they can know more. They want to know more so that they can be more, so that they can engage more, so that they can have a greater level of intimacy and relationship with him. So the disciples didn't get it, really, any more than anyone else until Jesus gave it to them. They didn't get it because they were smart. But Jesus explained it to them because they were with him, and he gave it to them. So actually, outsiders and insiders are not that far apart in their intellect, usually. Uh, what separates the outsider from the insider is the gift of God. So the difference between good soil and bad soil is not intellect, it's the condition of the soil. So in this parable, all of the soils here, all of the soils here, even as Jesus explains it to the disciples, even the, path, the seed that falls on the path and is immediately stolen, he says, even that soil hears the word. 
So all of the soils hear the word or hear the seed, but how they respond to the spiritual battle for their soul will determine whether their belief is short-term or long-term. And so let's, let's talk. We're just going to look at each of the four types of soils and, uh, and just see what, see what we can learn from them. So the first type of soil that Jesus uh, speaks of is the path. And, and when it comes to the path, its seed is thrown on the path, and Jesus says that the seed is stolen. The birds come and get it. Later he says that the seed is stolen by the devil. And here's what we need to know about the devil is that uh, even though he is defeated, uh, he's still active. He's, he's defeated, but he's still active. The war is over, but there are still battles going on. And he's still deceiving people, and he's still causing people to listen to his lies. Uh, people who don't know the truth are against the kingdom of God. You and I see them every day. Uh, we encounter them every day. You, you, you see them on TV, on the news. They're, they're everywhere. The people who, are, who don't know the truth are against the kingdom of God. I, I was having lunch with, with a friend this week who's actually in this room. Uh, well, we were talking about truth, and, and one of the things that, that came up, I, I was telling him a story of, years ago when we were in Athens, and uh, things were going quite well with the Wesley Foundation, and we were growing really fast, and I got a phone call from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and they wanted to come to Athens and interview me, and so they sent a reporter up, and, uh, and he asked me you know, a bunch of questions about the ministry and all, but then he asked this question. He says, well, what I really want to know is, how did you do it? And I said, we told the truth. We told them the truth. Because lies cannot stand up against the truth. The lie by itself sounds pretty good. Honestly, uh, lies, when they stand alone, don't sound that bad. But when you put a lie beside the truth, it can't stand up. But if you don't know the truth, you'll settle for a lie. And that's why it's so important for the church, for the body of Christ, to speak the truth, to tell the truth, not to water down the message, to be willing to tell people who are perishing the truth, the true message. You know, one of the true messages, one of the true truths about this message is that more people will perish than will not perish. Jesus said it pretty clearly. Uh, Jesus said that narrow is the gate that leads to life, and few go that way, and that broad is the gate that leads to destruction, and many go that way. You don't have to be you know, a, a linguist or a math major to figure out that few is less than many, right? So uh, 
We live in a world where people are perishing, and they're perishing because they don't know the truth. And one of the reasons they don't know the truth is because they haven't heard the truth. And one of the reasons they haven't heard the truth is because we haven't told them the truth. And so uh, we need to be people who tell the truth. Uh, Seed on the path doesn't believe uh, because it never actually receives the seed because the hardness of the heart is actually caused them to be opposed to the truth. They're opposed to God because all they've ever heard is a lie. Everything that they've heard about God, everything that they've heard about the church, everything that they've heard about you and about me has been rooted in a lie. And so until they hear the truth, they won't be free. So that's the the path. The second soil that Jesus refers to, and and from here, the rocky soil, uh, the the weedy soil or the thorny soil, and then the good soil, those are the three soils that most of the people in this room represent. Okay, I I don't know. There may be someone in this room, I, I, I doubt it. Most of the people that fall into the first category are out there. And, and that's why we need to be out there. Uh, but the rocky places uh, died. The seed that, that went into the rocky places died because the, the soil was too shallow. It was too shallow. It, it received the word, received it joyfully, uh, and was excited about it, but it was short-lived. And, and some of that was because of previous hardness, Um, previous hardness that kept it from establishing roots. When persecution comes, Jesus says, when persecution comes or difficulty comes, he describes it as the sun coming up and beating down on the plant. It withers and dies because it's not equipped to make it to survive through hardship, through difficulty. Now, the Gospels are filled with stories of people who received the word, who responded to it joyfully, who chased after it for a time and then fell away. And if you read through the Gospels, you see stories of Jesus teaching thousands of people. You know, when he's the Sermon on the Mount, thousands of people. When Jesus feeds uh, the masses two different times, uh, there are at least 15, maybe 20,000 people that have gathered on a hillside. Even in this particular passage here, we have Jesus having to get into a boat and push out from the shore because there's so many people on the beach that he has to get a little bit of space between himself and them so that he can teach. Huge crowds of people followed Jesus. When he came into Jerusalem the week of his death, the whole city turned out. All of the Jews turned out. All of the Jews in Jerusalem came out to greet him. They're throwing palm branches on the ground, they're singing, they're celebrating, they are all in on Monday. (laughs) By Friday, they're all out. It's very short-lived. Thousands and thousands of people following Jesus. And then if you fast forward to Pentecost, there's about 100 So how do you go from 10,000 to 100? I mean, 
Jesus should have been fired, right? His church shrank. <laughs> His church went from 10,000 to 100. Wouldn't, wouldn't we have fired him? Because their faith was shallow. And they couldn't withstand difficulty because they didn't understand, really, the previous hardness, whether sometimes it was because of hurt, it was because of disappointment, maybe it was because of broken dreams. Uh, you know, when you've experienced broken dreams and you hear something that sounds like a dream, it's, it's worth jumping into until you realize that your dream is not immediately fulfilled. And then you fall away. Or it could be a lack of commitment or a lack of surrender. Uh, people that have one foot in and one foot out and haven't quite understood that the invitation of Jesus is not to come and look at the buffet and pick what you want, but the invitation of Jesus is to come and die, to give all of yourself to him, to surrender, to cease being in charge of your own life, to understand that our yes to Jesus is also a no to anything and everything that is in conflict with him and his kingdom. I remember years ago hearing the story of Ravi Zacharias preaching in a foreign country and giving an invitation at the end through an interpreter, and he said thousands of people were, were rushing the altar to be saved, and, and the interpreter threw his hands up and stopped the crowd and said something to them in the language that Ravi didn't understand, and suddenly the people turned and started going back to their seats. And, and Ravi was just dismayed. He couldn't believe this interpreter has, has quenched the spirit and ruined the meeting. And, and they get in the taxi to go back to the hotel that, that night, and he said, what did you say? And the interpreter says, I simply told them that saying yes to Jesus meant saying no to every other God. A lot of people are willing to add Jesus to everything that they already have. They're not willing to take Jesus instead of everything else. And to say yes to Jesus means to say yes to him completely. Huge crowds followed. Huge crowds welcomed him to Jerusalem at the end, but by Pentecost, it was pretty small. This soil, this shallow soil, it hears it, it receives, but because of fear or hurt or wrong thinking, uh, the seed never takes root. And so when difficulty comes, they fall away. The third group is the weedy or the thorny places, and Jesus says it's choked out. If the seed is received and it starts to grow and, and it's choked out, Jesus says it's choked out by the cares of the world, the delight in riches, and the desire for other things. In other words, there's not enough room in their life for Jesus. There's not enough room in their life for the seed to grow and bear fruit. I, I would say it this way. I would say that the rocky soil has too many bad things for the seed to grow. Maybe hurt and fear and shame and hardship and persecution. And the weedy soil has too many good things for the seed to grow. 
money, activity, status, all the things that we chase. And the invitation of Jesus to all of us is not, add me, add me, add me to what you have. I will make what you have better, add me. That's never been his invitation. His invitation has always been, come and follow me. Leave what you have and follow me. Leave it all. When Jesus called Peter and James and John, Scripture says that they dropped their nets and followed him. Basically, their nets represent everything they have. They're fishermen. It's all they have. Their, their whole way of making a living, everything they have to make a living is, is in their nets and their boats, and they leave their nets and they leave their boats, and they walk away from it all, and they follow Jesus. And Dave Canastrasi, in one of his books, gave this quote, the sound of the nets that the disciples dropped was barely heard in Capernaum that day, but it thundered in heaven. It thundered in heaven. So that finally then we come to the good soil, and and I would just say about the good soil, it receives the word quickly. Uh, There are a lot of us who waste a lot of time, a lot of years, because we will not say yes until we understand. And I, I get that to a degree. I do. But I also know that, that you will never understand until you say yes. Because understanding comes from exactly what Jesus said when he gives you the keys to the kingdom. And he won't give you those keys until you say yes. The good soil receives the word quickly, receives the word deeply. Don't, don't settle just for just being inside the door. The call of God is into the deep. One of my grandchildren called us last, uh, last week to say that, that he had jumped into the deep end of the pool and swam all by himself. I remember that day for me. Do you remember the day, the first time you were able to get out of the shallow end and get into the deep end of the pool? I've told you before, I spent my childhood standing in the shallow end looking out at the deep end and believing that it just looked like the kids in the deep end of the pool were having more fun. And then I figured out later that the reason it looked like they were having more fun is because they were. And you and I were not made for the shallow end of the pool. We were made for the deep end. We were made for a life of faith, and a life of faith requires that you get in over your head. Over your head. Receive the word quickly. Receive the word deeply. Receive the word exclusively. Yes to Jesus means no to every other God everything that you depend on, you depend on him. 
Yes to Jesus is a surrender. I am no longer in charge of my life. It starts with what he can do for me, but it quickly shifts to all that I can do for, in, and through him. It may start with, you need forgiveness. You want a new life. You want to go to heaven. It may start there. But if the seed is going to remain and bear fruit, first it will die in the ground, and then it will bear fruit 30, 60, 100-fold. And the way that it bears fruit is when the shift happens. There's a shift that occurs from him giving to you to you serving him and giving all of yourself to him. He gave all of himself. He did. He, he didn't hold back at all. He gave every ounce of himself. He gave to his last breath for us. And his invitation to us is not, give me just a little bit of you. His invitation is, give me all of you. I gave all of me for you. Give all of you to me. Now let's pray. Jesus, we, we just pray today. I, I don't know. There, there, there may be several types of soil represented in this room today. What we pray is that you would give us the keys to the kingdom, the secrets to the kingdom, so that we would not just understand, but engage. And I pray that, that all of us, no matter where we are, would move quickly into that place of bearing fruit. The deep soil, the deep soil, 30, 60, 100 fold. In Jesus' name, amen.